So Hi Felicia is a podcast that I started with the idea of having conversations on a variety of topics, trying to do a deep dive, um, maybe knowing something about the person, maybe not. One of my guilty pleasures is Criminal Minds and the team at the BAU, and they always profile a serial killer or an unsub by the fact that, that they usually start in a geographical location that's comfortable to them. So I, I do do that. So I am using friends and family and friends of friends and Facebook friends for folks who are basically in my sphere at first to interview and have some conversations. Because I've always been curious about, you know, where people come from, what their interests are, and I get really jazzed about talking to someone who's really enthusiastic about a subject that maybe I know a little bit about, maybe I know nothing about. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with my different guests. And um, please feel free to comment, send questions, um, or send suggestions for guests that you think might be interested uh, to be on Hi Felicia. So this is Hi Felicia podcast. I'm your host, Felicia Ryan. My guest today is Cassandra. Will you say your last name for me? De Alba. De Alba. I, I actually interviewed an, uh, D apostrophe Alba. Oh, really? So, yes. She was uh, um, she did a tarot reading for me. She, I cannot remember her first, Mary. I was like, why can't I remember her first name? <laughs> She's a Malden resident, and she uh, has her moniker as Spirituality Girl. Oh, So cool. it's like just another spelling, perhaps, of a same kind of a name origin. Yeah, I would love to meet her <laughs> and get a tarot yeah, reading. Yeah, oh, she's really awesome. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. We're here to talk about poetry, here to talk about the connection that you and I made through Traveling Poetry Emporium. How do you sort of introduce yourself? Oh, sure. Well, I'm a poet who's currently living in Massachusetts. Um, I have an undergrad degree from Hampshire College in poetry and history, and I also have a master's of library science and history from Simmons. Uh, so a lot of my interests are kind of the intersection of like poetry and research and history. Um, and I also am one third of the Traveling Poetry Emporium, which is a group of poets who compose poems to order on manual typewriters. Which is so cool. So I experienced the Traveling Poetry Emporium at an event for Malden Reads at the kickoff event for Fahrenheit 451, yes. I think. And um, you did a really beautiful poem for my dog, Arnie. <laughs> who is a naughty, naughty boy. And oh, no. um, yeah, he has to be muzzled now because he ate a pair of scissors. What? He is ate, he okay? <laughs> yeah, he ate the handle, Okay, the, like okay. the hard plastic yeah. part. And um, that was after he had been such a good boy. I thought, well, I don't have to muzzle him anymore. Mm. So, And then he was like, nope, I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, but he, he, he enjoyed his poem and... Um, I posted it on a bunch of different Greyhound groups because Greyhound people are crazy. <laughs> and everyone was like, oh, my God. So you may, may end up getting some custom <laughs> Greyhound <laughs> requested poems out of that. I would love that. We uh, actually, I know that one of our members has typed poems at uh, the, I think it's on the Greenway, the Carnival of Dogs every year they hire. Oh, my God. So a good place to come if you want a custom poem about your dog oh my god that sounds amazing there's um you know how facebook is like insidious and also um will show you ads of things that you are interested in yeah i just did the crazy finger <laughs> air quotes um but i'm getting ads now for people who crazy people who will take a picture of their animal and send it to some sort of service, print service, painter, whatever. And then they'll do that like formal painting of the person with like like a historical costume on, but then, then the head is the animal's face. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like ads of these people's like unwrapping paintings of like, oh look, it's my cat wearing wearing a Louis the Fifteenth costume. I have to say that's tempting to me. <laughs> it's very tempting, right? And I'm like, oh, Facebook. <laughs> um so we, I'm sorry, this, I just diverted away from poetry, but <laughs> so um, 
So are you a librarian now? Do you work as a librarian? No, I'm not. Um, I actually, I have a bunch of different jobs, but I mostly am an assistant to a faculty member at Harvard. Um, But I deal a lot with archives through that job, so I'm using my degree in that way. Oh, that's cool. And you said you were interested in the intersection of history and poetry? I'm interested in kind of using poetry to talk about history, writing poems that are based in research. Oh, interesting. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Like, have you written one or some or? Oh, yeah, I've written a fair amount, actually. My undergrad thesis was poems that were based in research about the American sideshow and circus. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it was a lot of fun um, to do that research and then to kind of, like, bring these stories to life through poetry. So that makes me think of... um... And I could be wrong, but like, did Studs Terkel do a bunch of like interviews with sideshow people? I want to say yes. It's been a little bit since I've been in this research. Yeah, I feel like he did, or like carnies was like a big thing for him, which is a little different. Yeah, I think but it was more carnies. Yeah, um, people who worked traveling carnivals rather than. But I love that idea of telling people stories that have. Um, different perspectives I guess mm-hmm. and like um what time period do you remember what time period this was that you were re- researching or your oh yeah was around? yeah I was primarily looking at kind of like roughly like 1840 to 1940 um in America were there specific poets that were functioning in that time that dealt with that subject matter is that how you came across it or not especially I don't remember how I started I think it was just something I was interested in, I was looking at kind of like alternative community and alternative family and mm-hmm. kind of became very interested in how sideshow performers were people who had been largely rejected by their birth families and by society mm-hmm. who had kind of created this like intentional community mm-hmm. um, that really took care of each other. There were a lot of really heartwarming stories of people who became each other's family through the circus and then... There's an entire there was an entire town in Florida where sideshow performers would go to retire that's still semi-active. That's very cool. Wow, that's very cool. The um, it this is another like sort of lore kind of thing. I wonder if I'm coming up against, but a lot of folks that were previously in like circuses or sideshows, they were people that had some kind of like genetic deformity or congenital deformity or some of them yes okay yes. there's a difference between uh what they would classify at the time with a born freak versus a made freak yeah um so the idea that a tattooed lady is a made freak whereas someone who say had um hypertrichiosis um hair over their body yep, would be yep. a born freak and then now what you see in a sideshow, you know, in modern days, because we don't, we no longer feel as a society that's appropriate to right, look right. at someone just because they have a disability, is there are a lot of sideshow performers who still do have some type of, like, disability, but they also have a performance aspect to it. Right, so you'll have right. someone who's a little person, but they breathe fire and they have tattoos. Um, but a lot of my research was actually kind of centered around the idea that we've kind of pushed that on online and on TV, where we still think it's okay to have these shows where the entire premise is yeah. like, look at this person who looks different, but they no longer have the power to look back at you. Yeah, like yeah. what happened in a sideshow. And there was an exchange there. And then, how did poetry fit into that? I just wanted to write poems about it. <laughs> I was just, I was really fascinated by it, and especially by the fact that there aren't a lot of voices left on the record. This work didn't leave a lot of a trace, um, and a lot of the research that's been done about circus has been done by older white male hobbyists yeah. who have very different concerns than I did coming in, like, yeah, wanting to yeah. look at race and gender yeah, yeah, and disability. So I was kind of piecing together all this research, and then I wanted to write poems. Yeah, and if you think of the kind of that white male perspective, too, it's always about voyeurism or, mm-hmm. like, um, like, I'm kind of a fan of, like, horror and some fantasy stuff, and, like, I was thinking about... Is it Ryan Murphy and like the um, uh, he does different series each year that's horror related. But one year he had it and it was all around the carnival. There was a it was Twisty the Clown who was a, you know, serial killer. But (laughs) where are you now with your poetry? 
in terms of like what interests you or what, where where you're going with it or what, what you're working on? Um, I have a couple of things I'm working on. One of them is a project that I think I'm pretty much finished with that is poems that are based on photographs that purport to show a ghost. Um, so ranging That's from cool. famous photographs, you know, like the the brown lady of Rumpham Hall to kind of these photographs that pop up online. It's like, oh, here are these two girls in the Philippines, but there's like a third ghostly figure behind them. And so kind of writing poems about that that deal with like faith and belief and like seeing is believing, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also writing what I thought was a series of linked prose poems and my fiction writer friends looked at it and they were like, you're writing a novel. And I kind of refuse to believe that. It's a series of linked prose poems, but it's all about also kind of ghosts. It's about uh, like a field where the spirits of women who have been murdered and who have not had justice are all kind of waiting and kind of eventually creating their own justice. So that's a novel. <sighs> <laughs> I think it's prose poems, but <laughs> we'll see. I think that the idea of um, it being prose poems or novel is... Um, it can be both, mm-hmm. can't it? I'm just very scared by the the word novel. Having writing, being somebody who writes poems, and being somebody who typically yeah. writes very short poems. Yep. How so? Like, what would you say that your poetry style is? Um, I mean, it can be a lot of things. I guess I'm really interested in image. Um, I'm really interested in creating surprise, um, and I'm really interested in yeah, what language can do when you have fewer restrictions on it than you would in even conversation when you can just kind of say the wildest thing and be like but it's a poem I so like that can that. happen why do you think people are intimidated by poetry a couple of reasons I think it's taught really badly in schools mm-hmm. I mean I was someone who was absolutely predisposed to like poetry you know I grew up in kind of a literary reading a lot household and I did not really know that people we're still writing poetry until I was in college. Mm-hmm. You know, I did not, I was not taught living poets no. at any point. And I really loved a lot of non-living poets. I went to college with two poetry-related tattoos, <laughs> but I kind of never sat down and thought, oh, this is something that I personally could do beyond, you know, writing in my journal until I went to college and someone introduced me to Poetry Slam. And so that's kind of how I got into writing poetry. And then from there, I got really into all different types of poetry. Mm-hmm. But do you have, is this a good time for you to, to read something that, that's yours? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. I can, so, I can read something. So tell us about it. All right. Well, so this is actually a poem from a book that just came out. It's a chat book um, on Glass Poetry Press. It's called Ugly Sad. Um, and this uh, is a poem called Miniatures. In the store of small desires, I touch nothing, afraid to break the delicate plaster hands, dishes the size of dimes. I won't decorate another house where I don't fit. I'm almost ready to risk something the size of my life and full of blood, to ride into town with my twin fears. Obsession, the jacket of knives I look so good in. Desire. A foul animal gone stupid in the heat. That's beautiful. Thank you. So it's from um, a chat book, you said? Yes. So what's a chat book? A shorter book. (laughs) (laughs) There's no real exact set page limit. You know, it's kind of a like a small collection of poems. I think this one is 20-something pages long, maybe. And is it a a press that um, just sort of specializes in shorter books? Yes, they okay. have a chapbook series that they put out. Got it. Nice. And it's called Ugly Sad. And and if they someone was looking for it online, how could they find it? Oh, they could go to glasspoetry.com. Nice. Um, or they could just Google my name. I think it comes right up. <laughs> cool. Um, do you have, like, a favorite living poet? Ooh, just one. <laughs> or one that's, like, really important to you now? Um. Oh, we were talking about Ada Lamon earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I love her. I love her work. I think it is so deft, I guess. She's able to say these incredibly beautiful things in so little space, which is something I really admire. She's able to kind of get to the heart of it. And she's 
often kind of able to trick you into into getting to the heart of it where you know you you you're not expecting to be emotionally devastated at the start of the poem and then 12 lines later you're emotionally devastated and you're kind of like what happened everything was so beautiful and Uh, what um do you have one in this this book that I'm holding which I happen (laughs) to have brought with me I mean I love how to triumph like a girl I love the title of it Mm -hmm. um when I read a book like this too I um I skip around Mm -hmm. is that how you read a poetry book no I usually read start to finish oh really do you ever read the last page? <laughs> Not usually. I always read the last page. <laughs> All right. How to triumph like a girl. I like the lady horses best. How they make it all look easy. Like running 40 miles per hour is as fun as taking a nap or grass. I like their lady horse swagger after winning. Ears up, girls. Ears up. But mainly, let's be honest. I like that they're ladies, as if this big, dangerous animal is also a part of me, that somewhere inside the delicate skin of my body, there pumps an eight-pound female horse heart, giant with power, heavy with blood. Don't you want to believe it? Don't you want to lift my shirt and see the huge, beating, genius machine that thinks, no, it knows it's going to come in first? That's beautiful. She is, um, I think I started following Vita online, and I wanted to say that that's how I found her. So Ada Limon is the author of three previous collections of poems, Lucky Wreck, This Big Fake World, and Sharks in the Rivers. Her poetry has appeared in New Yorker, New York Times, American Poetry Review, among other publications. We had talked about Ocean Vong, too, who is a poet but he wrote um what they call memoir but it is really it's if you look at the cover it says novel mm-hmm. so i think because it's a lot of it is like a prose poem that when somebody decided they were going to publish it they didn't quite know um what category to put it in mm-hmm. and when you um if it had to be pure memoir I don't know that it fit that form necessarily. Right. So I love that it's called a novel, and then in that way it sort of gives it freer range, I think, sometimes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't read that yet, but it's on the top of my to-read list. It's so beautiful. It really is so beautiful. It's a letter to his mother who doesn't speak English mm-hmm. or or who doesn't – she speaks limited English, mm-hmm. and but she doesn't read English. And I think at the time the book had just been put out, she passed oh, very gosh. suddenly after mm-hmm. that. Um, but ugh, it's so it's so beautiful. It's so heartbreaking. It's so gritty and honest and real. And um, you know, he's a gay Asian man raised by a single mother an immigrant to this country but there were so many things that I identified and I and I just kept thinking like this is what the power of words is is that someone whose background is so totally different than mine you know like we all have some relationship with our mother um that I found so many similarities in the emotion of what he was saying. Right. Yeah. That's something I talk about with, um, like, if we're talking about editing poems and mm-hmm. things when I'm leading a workshop, the idea that the very personal and specific actually becomes very universal because yes. you imbue it with that emotion. You know, the the more you drill down to the details of an experience, the more it that emotional landscape will open up and then the more other people will be able to relate to it even if they're like I've never tasted that flavor of ice cream I don't know what street you're talking about but the way that you put in those details creates this world for other people to enter yeah and the um the type of work that I I do I never thought of myself as writing poetry because I always thought of it as that you know that old dead thing that Mm -hmm. I was not only was I I was an English major in undergrad, but I was told that I didn't wasn't doing it right. So you know, like you know, don't have that kind of capacity. So for whatever reason, I was perhaps not a good 
you know, expository writer or like tell I'm going to tell you the thing and I'm going to tell you that thing and I'm going to summarize how I'm going to tell you mm-hmm. that thing. Perhaps that was not the kind of writing I was good at. <laughs> so that thus I was told I was not a good writer. Um, and then um, having obviously kind of come to terms with, okay, I've done lots of different types of writing. Like, let me just try this thing called poetry. And like, I like to write short pieces anyway. So I was like, well, maybe this is a poem. And like sort of having to come at it on my own, realizing that it's a living thing. It can be a modern tool. It's not just about, you know, old dead guy, white guys with like, you know, plumes in their hands writing poetry that there's like it's a really modern form in a lot of ways yeah absolutely it's something that's constantly changing and evolving with the times that we live in and I think yeah I think mostly what I remember being taught in school is old dead white guys Emily Dickinson Langston Hughes you know like the like you could have one person of color and one woman they couldn't be the same person that doesn't exist and I definitely never got a poem by anyone who you know looked or sounded like me in school so I think if someone is taught that way in school and then, you know, isn't going to encounter a lot of poetry in day-to-day culture in America. And so they might go through the rest of their life thinking, oh, poetry is this one thing that's not for me. Whereas I think there's something in poetry for everyone. Right. And I think poetry is also sort of a, um, it's a starting point. And then maybe it's a poem that becomes a song or a poem that becomes a story, or a poem that becomes a novel, or a poem, you know what I mean? Like, I think the poem is the origin, Mm -hmm. and then things get built on to be made into other things. At least that's the way I've started thinking about it. I belong to a local writers group called the Malden Writers Collaborative, and we have a season of September through May, and we... However big the group is, um, twice a month we meet at the local library and we workshop each other's work. And there's a lot of fiction writers, a lot of sci-fi, fantasy kind of fiction writers. Um, But it's me and a couple other people who write nonfiction. And then I recruited specifically a poet, which I was very excited about, and a nonfiction writer, which I was very excited about. Mm -hmm. Um, And we always struggle with, like, diversity and, like, um, diversity of both human beings, but also different voices. And then even amongst the folks that um, we do end up workshopping, it's really interesting to see what people come up with and like how varied the subject matter is and how varied the voices are. And um, the work that I just had workshopped um, was different, different types of pieces, different types and styles of writing, very short chapters. I have an overall book that I think is a collection, but each chapter is a color, and each color has different meanings. Oh, cool. Um, But the piece that they read most recently is called Blue, and it starts with a poem. And because we sort of had encouraging our own members that if you are going to start your workout with a quote, make it your own quote. Like, don't use – it's nice to borrow a song lyric or a Bible quote or whatever it is Mm -hmm. that's meaningful to you but make your own. So mm-hmm. my first was my a poem. And then the, the, the poet that I recruited, um, Jeff Taylor, mm-hmm. you know, yes. <laughs> he was like, you know what? There's, you have poems throughout all of this, this work. You just need to like, you just need that to be like indented in some way because that's part of a poem and that's a poem and that and then, and I was like, wow, I hadn't even thought of that. So like I'm writing a story and it's, most of it's nonfiction. Some of it's a little exaggerated because I don't think we ever remember things, you know, factually. We're, oh, yeah, no. We're remembering things from our point of view or perspective. And then sometimes I find it interesting to imagine, mm-hmm. you know, uh, part of a dream or something else happening in the story. So they're not – it's not pure, like, factual, like, this happened when da-da-da-da. So the idea that he's like, no, 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 there's, that's, that's poetry, and then that's poetry, and then that's poetry. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I love that idea that the poetry is the thing that moves throughout the piece. Oh, that's very cool. And also the opposite of my experience where I'm thinking I'm writing poems, being told I'm writing prose. 
but is it that you just never thought that that format was for you or you just didn't gravitate toward it necessarily I guess I don't gravitate towards it I don't read a ton of fiction I like the fiction I read a lot but I mostly read short stories and I mostly write in these very small chunks you know there's one long poem in this chat book and it's something I wrote over the course of a year in very short segments Mm. so I think, I mean, it's just very intimidating to sit down and be like, I'm writing this very long form thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think of things as episodes. Mm-hmm. So, and I like, I don't like to write things that are linear. And I find like what you're saying, like this idea, this this big chunk of fiction that someone's writing, like, ugh, like I find <laughs> that really overwhelming thinking about it. Like, But I read both fiction and nonfiction and, and, and enjoy it. But I don't sit and read a piece of fiction in one sitting. Right. I read like 20, 30, 40, 50 pages at a time. So you could write that in a sitting, <laughs> couldn't you? <laughs> 50 pages, I don't know about. What's a, cha- but... <laughs> what's a chat book? How many pages? Uh, 30 something. But I mean, this is, you know, years of work. Yeah. In, in one little packet. Um, I am thinking a lot about actually the, a lot of what I've been reading lately has been book length, but told in very small pieces. I like um, that. The past couple of books that I've really loved have been like Carmen Maria Machado's the, In the Dream House, mm-hmm. um, Jenny Slate's Little Weirds. Yep. Um, Mary Rufo's, uh, oh gosh, what is that one called? Uh, My Private Property. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all kind of, I guess, like memoir-ish. Yeah. Yep. Kind of, you know, short little chapters. Have you read Shrill? I've not, no. I like that. That's kind of shorter chapters. My reading is all over the place Mm -hmm. and sort of like (laughs) similar to like when you go down the rabbit hole and like Pinterest. (laughs) Like that's kind of how I read sometimes. Like I'll be like, oh, but oh, what's in the background of that? And because I like lots of different things. So. Like I'll read historical fiction, I'll read nonfiction, I read, I obviously brought all my poetry books with me today. Um, or I'll hear someone on like a radio show and I'll be like, oh, they sound very interesting, I wonder what their book is like. And I've been purposely trying to, because I'm so tired of like reading the same, you know, not that their perspective is any less, um, valid it's just prevalent it's you know white white guy like just you know I mean maybe their perspective is a little less valuable it, well it's like a overdone yeah like it's been, been there done that we've gotten kind of that thing. perspective yeah I feel like yeah and so like even movies I'm like you know if it's not a woman lead like do I really want to see it <laughs> like I don't like the last movie I saw was Little Women and I was like like I don't think we needed a guy in that. I mean, I like Tracy Letts, but like, <laughs> I don't think we needed a guy in that movie, did we? <laughs> I just saw Birds of Prey, which is also all female really, leads, yeah. That was that was a great time. I think the other one that I obviously want to see is Parasite, but like, oh, it's so good. Yeah, I've it's heard so good. <laughs> I've heard, I've heard, and yeah, it just there. You know, there's something to be said for different perspectives and different voices, and. Um, it just informs it round it like expands your world like Mm -hmm. and don't you think that that makes better writing absolutely i think having all these different perspectives it makes better writing it makes you a better person yeah being able to listen to people whose experience is not your own and being able to like just take that in and sit with it yeah um that's something i think that's really valuable about for all of its problems poetry slam which is how i got into writing Mm -hmm. um because a lot of it is identity-based work and a lot of it is people sharing their own experiences and I think listening to that is you know I don't want to make it sound like poetry is medicine but it's good for an audience it's good to come into a space and be challenged by a perspective that's not yours that's something maybe that you wouldn't have considered do you know about poetry rx yes yes I've heard of that oh my god (laughs) so talking about poetry is medicine it's um was it by the Paris Review? It's some it's some like fairly well esteemed publication. You can go and write in to the poets and like my you know, my so and so left me, my so and so passed. Um, please write a poem for me. And then the it's the 
it's the idea of poetry as medicine, mm-hmm. which I love. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, I was going to ask you a question about the slam. Why do we call it slams? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a very good historian of the genre. I think, you know, it was invented as kind of a people, you know, academic poetry readings are boring. How do we make it interesting? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's 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 a bar game, essentially. Yeah. Um, and there's been a lot of, I'm not going to get into it, there's been a lot of drama in the national community over the past couple of years. Um, yeah, I helped run a, a venue, uh, the, the Boston Poetry Slam at the Cantab Lounge. Mm-hmm. Um and we're kind of excited about the opportunity to like explode what slam means and make it weirder, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess. Is it um is it the idea see I think the slam word has always been intimidating to me because of the idea of like competing against other people, like mm-hmm. who's better. So it's not about your poem being better, it's about your performance of your poem necessarily or Correct me where I'm wrong in that whole statement. Oh, performance is definitely important. Yeah. And that's kind of – when I get to instruct judges, I like to tell them, uh, you know, half poetry, half performance. Most okay. judges don't listen. <laughs> um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, a poetry slam is judged by five random people from the audience. Uh, oh, I like that. Okay. Yeah, so it's the idea that kind of your poem should be – universally accessible your poem everyone should be able to like get something from your poem okay and, and understand it um, but a lot of people who don't necessarily listen to a lot of poetry are going to be way more swayed by a flashy performance than they are by kind of a like nuanced yeah delivery yeah yeah, of yeah. Words. yep i think the um i started doing uh, one of my bucket list things was doing storytelling oh cool so i took a class with mass mouth last year and i did my first storytelling at Club Passim at, you know, that was like the culmination of however many weeks of classes. And um, it was so painful. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, the class was great. The organization was great. The venue was lovely. Um, it was this idea of switching my mindset from like writing a story to telling a story mm-hmm. in sort of understanding those differences and um because I had a great story in mind um but as I wrote it <laughs> it just got longer and longer and um you know like 11 pages of a story is not necessarily the same as telling a story right and then sort of so I sort of realized I had to back off of all of this idea of it being a very strict narrative in a very specific kind of a word choice and just be like, how would I tell this to my friend? You know, how would it be humorous? How would it be, you know, what they needed to know? How would it have still arc? How would it have moments and pause? And and, um, I practiced it and practiced it and practiced it. And then the night of the performance... (laughs) I really did think, oh, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to hide in the bathroom. Oh, no. <laughs> and then, you know, nothing kind of went as planned for me mm-hmm. to get there. Like, I was like, well, I'm going to have I'm going to have makeup on and I'm going to do my nails and I'm going to have on like my performance outfit. And like there was a loose dog in the neighborhood and like the 13 year old <laughs> didn't want to get in the car and we were late. And so none of those things happened. Mm-hmm. So I put a hat on and um, <laughs> I stuck my hands in my pockets. And as I went to get on stage, I thought, oh, I'm just, I'm just kind of stank. And like I throughout the practice of the different classes, like each <laughs> Each retelling of my poem, uh, my poem, each retelling of my story got worse and worse. Yeah. So I thought, night of, I'm just going to stink. Well, that was, you know, bad, bad rehearsal, good performance. Oh, great. My night of, I was like, my fiance and my stepdaughter were both there and they're like, we were kind of surprised at how good it came out. <laughs> <laughs> Because they were my practice audience where I was like, you know, losing my train of thought and in, in my own head about things. And and then I just realized like, oh, yeah, and it's a really about like just making the leap and taking, you know, getting up there with some sort of a plan. And and um, I got into this space where I felt like I had all the time in the world but I had a very specific 
timing in mind and I definitely um, used pause and got to see where people were connecting and got to see when people laughed and let that kind of settle and I walked off <laughs> the teacher looked at me and she went who knew you had it in you <laughs> or, or like I knew you had it in you or whatever and and she's like that was exactly five and a half minutes that was like moth worthy or whatever and I was like oh okay good oh that's so cool so yeah it was a very positive experience and I've been looking for other opportunities to do that but I think the idea of like, oh, I'm going to get up there and forget what I'm saying mm -hmm. or see people looking at me and like, you know, poop my pants. <laughs> <laughs> I've been hosting open mic for a long time. I've never seen anyone poop their pants. Really? No. Uh, I I've could be the first. <laughs> I have seen a lot of people forget their poem, but I mean, people yeah. are really encouraging when that happens. Absolutely. Everyone wants you to succeed when you're on stage. Absolutely. And I think that kind of exchange of energy between the performer and the audience is a really important mm -hmm. part of an open mic. Yep. So um, about how many people get to perform when they go to the Cantab open night, open mic night poetry slam? Okay, so our open mic is traditionally we have 18 open slots that people can sign up for. Oh, wow. We usually, it's about a two hour open mic. It's a very, it's a okay. pretty long night. Uh, we typically, we then have a wait list um, if that fills up, that we kind of get to. And then we have some people who work for the venue who will read, you know, our bartender, our doorkeeper, mm -hmm. me. Um, so generally, I would say, like, I don't know, maybe 25 people read on okay. open mic on an average night. And about how long is the slot? Like two, three minutes? Three minutes. Okay. Three minute time limit. You have a little bit of a grace period before one of us will literally kind of walk up on stage on you. Okay. <laughs> so um, cool. ideally three minutes. And people can read. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Most people read off their phones or their paper, you know, iPad, whatever they mm -hmm. have. Um, even in our poetry slams, the judged competition part of the night, um, you'll have one or two people who are reading off paper. That's cool. Yeah, I like the um, – there's some sort of security in the reading from the paper. But, like, I, um, I've – at the end of our season for the writers group, we have a, a performance and I've always felt comfortable, even though I know what it is that I'm reading, to be able to look up mm -hmm. because my um, my silly master's degree from my lovely college, which I love, Emerson, <laughs> is in um, marketing communications. <laughs> so presentation and like performance was like part of it. So like I have that thing about like, whether I'm speaking or reading from notes or doing something from memory, like making point to go left to middle to right and try to make eye contact with different people. Mm -hmm. um, so even when I'm reading, I sort of know the words. And like if I skip a word, I'm like, well, nobody else knows what I'm reading. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter unless like I forgot like a major word. Then like I might go back and want to correct myself. But when you are doing the slam, do you go from memory or do you read? I don't compete a lot anymore, actually. So when I do end up having to, I'm usually on paper. Um, I've never been a great memorizer. Mm -hmm. I would often have like a crib sheet of like words written on my hands. It'd be like, that's, mm -hmm. you know, these are the major points. Yep. <laughs> like this is the next line if you forgot it. Yep. So. And for you, are you like economy of words or do you like... Um, do you just like the flow of what you've written? Like, are you so if you if you skipped a word or missed a word, would it be really crucial for what you're trying to express? Oh, if I end up making a mistake, I will keep going forward. Okay, um, that's something that you kind of get taught often if you're starting in slam is like don't let the audience see that you've made a mistake yeah they won't know most of the time unless yep. you've really skipped a major like logic section right and even then sometimes they won't notice they'll just be like that was weird <laughs> um do you have any performance in your background um just performance poetry really i mean i was in a single high school play <laughs> but mostly it's been that i started doing this when i was 18 and i so i was wow. just kind of had this very like I don't know, like teenage shamelessness about it. So by the time I like mm -hmm. got to a point where I was like, oh, it's scary to stand up in front of a bunch of people and like say things. I was just very used to it. Mm -hmm. 
and it didn't matter to me anymore. That's cool. When you're how so so let's go back to the traveling poetry emporium. Yes. How did you get introduced to these ladies? Um, so I know Jenna through undergrad. Um, Jenna Rose and I went to Hampshire College together, um, but we really connected a few years ago when we both lived in Boston, and we would just get together at this cafe and write. And she had been doing this for a while, and she was essentially like, "I want a team. I want to start marketing us as a team. I want to be able to." you know, go do these events and have a buddy. And so she sat me down in my kitchen with my typewriter and was like, I'm going to teach you to write poems to order and essentially, like, put a timer on our phone and was like, okay, you have five minutes to write a poem about rocks. Go. And so we just did that for a while. And then um, she was also friends with Julie, the other member of our team, and mm-hmm. kind of brought Julie on board, and we all did this together for a while. And then we started uh, doing gigs. And so it's usually two ladies and two manual typewriters, and you make custom one-of-a-kind poems to order. Yes. And they get to take them away with them. Yes. And I think one of the things I had asked you when we spoke on the phone was, um, how do you feel about giving the poem away? Well, the poems don't feel... They almost don't feel like they belong to me a lot Mm -hmm. of the time. They belong to the person who they've been written for. It's this very kind of personal exchange and so I mean once in a while I will be like I love that line and ask if I can take a picture of the poem before I give it to them just Mm -hmm. so I can remember but most of the time it's very cool to think they're just gonna go out into the world and have this life without me yeah and you get such such beautiful reactions from people too like there wasn't one I mean first of all you had a line at the event that we that I was at which I'm is that kind of a typical thing for you? It's pretty typical, yeah. Because people are fascinated by um, the typewriters, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, and kids are super excited about it, too. Yeah, most kids have not seen a typewriter in action before. And so they're very excited, especially when you they realize you can kind of see the letter being pressed onto the page. Yeah. And you can kind of take a minute to explain to them how it works. They'll, they love to watch it move the whole time. And you have a personal connection to the manual typewriter that you have. Yeah, it was my dad's, um, my late father's. It was, um, so it's cool. a, it was his tenth birthday present. Oh my god! Is it green? <laughs> no, um, Julie, who I work with, okay. she has a green one. Okay, um, mine is just kind of a standard like metal uh, typewriter. Yeah. It was made for I think journalists. It's made to fit under an airplane seat, <gasps> so it's very cool. very portable. And was he a journalist? Uh, no, no, my dad was an engineer, um, but he just, uh, he loved this typewriter. I, I learned to type on my parents' typewriters when I was a kid, and so it's really cool to be able to bring this around with me. Yeah. I I grew up with um, an electric typewriter, mm-hmm. and that was how I did all of my um, papers until I got to college, because there was, like, computers were just kind of starting, but, mm-hmm. like, there was no such thing as, like, a home printer. Right. Um, Yeah. So I like I had to take a, a typewriter class in high school, and it was manual typewriters. <laughs> so I remember that like sticky key thing, and oh, like yeah. you know having to be able to type, not looking, and like where the keys were. And do you find your writing process is different with typewriter, manual typewriter, computer, and like then you know longhand? It does feel really different. The, the the three all feel different. I mean, when I'm writing for myself, I almost exclusively draft longhand and mm-hmm. then type it onto a computer, and that's that kind of acts as like draft 1.5, where you're kind of editing as you're typing yep. it up. Yeah. Um, when I use a typewriter, I think I mean you have to be really intentional. You can't just Absolutely. kind of key smash. <laughs> Um, because A, it's, you can't erase it. I yep. have a typewriter old enough. There's no eraser ribbon. And B, all your keys are going to get stuck. Yep. Um, so you have to kind of be thinking harder. And just the physicality of it is it's – <laughs> I'm doing typewriter hands unintentionally yeah, while I'm talking yeah, to you. Yeah. But it's definitely more physical than typing on a keyboard. It has literally more muscle into it. Yeah. Um, at the end of a longer gig, you know, our hands and wrists are very tired. I bet. I would bet. And you have the, your fingertips, too. It would be like sort of like you get, do you get typewriter finger um, calluses? <laughs> no, no. But you do, you have to keep your nails short. Oh. Um, I mean, I guess, I guess I could change my typing technique, but I tend to type with the tips of my fingers. So I love asking writers and, and um, folks 
what their process is because I find everybody's is different and like everybody uses those things differently like mm -hmm. my um I write and edit the same time if I do it on the computer um which isn't always a good thing um I will not let myself go as long through a thought process I think um unless I'm just in like okay I just want to pour it out but when I'm writing longhand in like a journal or whatever I don't edit at all. I mean, I scratch stuff out, mm -hmm. but I just keep going and going and going. And then sometimes it's total crap, but other times I'll go through and I circle stuff and I'll be like, oh, kernel <laughs> of an idea right there. Um, and then I use that to filter into some longer piece or something I've been thinking about. Where do you say you get good ideas from? <laughs> I mean, that's assuming I have good ideas. Um, I think, oh, you must have read something that you've written and been like, oh, I like that. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, sometimes. Um, I get ideas from all kinds of places. Often I get ideas from misreading or mishearing something. I like that. You know, because I think I'm a very fast reader. And so sometimes that means I'll kind of like garble something in my head and mm -hmm. go back and be like, that's not what that sentence is. But I liked it better the way my brain initially thought mm -hmm. it was. Um, I have this other chat book um, called Habitats that's all about kind of like malevolent deer, I guess. Kind of the idea of like <laughs> evil. It's, it's a lot of different types of deer, but it's a, it's kind of a like a little bit horror. And um, uh, a lot of this started from one poem that I wrote that's called The Beast Deer, which is I had read the phrase The Best Deer. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> couldn't play with that. And I was like, what's a beast deer? And then I wrote this thing and it kind of spiraled out of my control. That's beautiful. <laughs> I ha I could write a whole book about everybody's names that I have always imagined in my head or something different than what they're <laughs> actually called. And I realized it was like a family inherited trait because my dad will still say, you know, Jim that lived up the street. You mean Tom? Yeah, him. And I'd be like, oh, my God. I have inherited them making people's names something different than they are from my father. Or um, for some reason, I remember like a TV show, but in my head, it's like I have replaced the actor with someone else. And I'm like, <laughs> that would be a good show with the person <laughs> I replaced him with. That would be really interesting. Uh, so that's what I do with my writing a lot. <laughs> like that, that that poem wasn't, you know, I wanted that poem to go to one place and I went somewhere else. So I'm going to write the yeah. poem where it goes here. Do you ever go back to discarded ideas and, and like, I should revisit that and think about what I could do next with it? Or are you sort of like, no, you like to move forward with whatever you're working on? No, I recycle things, especially if I have written something that I think that there's one little salvageable part, I'll try to put that into other things mm. and find the right place for it. Like, I definitely still have lines where I'm like, it didn't work here, it didn't work here, it didn't work here. Is it going to work this time? Yeah, I like that too. I really like that idea. Um, are you somebody that does that with stuff as well? Like, I, like, you know, I can never throw away a box because I'm Oh, like, gosh, I'm the worst at throwing things away. I, I'm like, this box is a really good box. I don't want to <laughs> give it up. And, and I'm like... I could find a way to use it. Um, we had a holiday party, and I collected um, goods for a local um, homeless shelter, just thinking then then that way people wouldn't bring me gift as a hostess. Mm -hmm. But I still got gifts. But two of the things that I really loved came in, like, the best. Like, one was a tin <laughs> that I can put stuff in, and the other one was, like, this long cylindrical thing that had kind of a screw top to it. And I was like, I'm not throwing those away. Like, can't wait to get the stuff out of them so I could use them. <laughs> you know, it's like some way it's like a cat or something where, like, my 13-year-old stepdaughter, she's so much more interested in the box that came in <laughs> and like she also can't throw boxes away either so they're right. useful they could come in handy you never know <laughs> you know who has great boxes do you know okay so this is another facebook ad thing but rothy's oh yeah i've seen those ads good boxes best boxes okay. ever <laughs> i actually have a pair on right now oh nice um and yes, you can wash them. They're the most amazing things That's in the world. Cool. Um, but they have, it's like this hard-sided cardboard box. So it's the shoe box that they ship it in. And then when you open it, it's sort of like nice, nice uh, 
um, paper. Uh, it's all recycled materials too. Mm-hmm. And then they have like these like really nice um, um, cardboard shoe tree things that fit in the shoes. So everything's recyclable. But then all of those pieces, you know, don't have any dyes or you know chlorine or whatever on them. And you're like, this is the best stuff. Like I have two boxes of those things. <laughs> I have recycled the innards, but. I like, I'm like, I've got to do something with these boxes. They're amazing. <laughs> or um, I'm like, I have a dog. I am never throwing away the bags that my paper comes in ever again. <laughs> it's perfect dog poop bags. So, other, way, other ways in which you find yourself um, or look for ways to be creative besides writing. Like, do you have hobbies or... Um. A lot of my hobbies are writing related. Yeah. Um, I do. I like to collage. I would love to be able to make time to collage more. I think that's kind I of love a collage too. relaxing thing to yeah. do for a person like me who cannot draw. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I've been trying to get more into embroidery. Also something I'm, you know, I'm not very good at, but it's yep. fun. Um, but yeah, most of my creative energy does go to different types of writing. You should totally um, embroider... Um, cross-stitch sayings from things that you misread oh that would be fun you could have a whole line (laughs) that could be like the cover of your book (laughs) oh that would be neat to embroider my own book cover i have when i was kind of teaching myself basic basic embroidery was embroidering lines from other poets as a thing to do you should do it you do your own poetry (laughs) maybe i will thank you (laughs) yeah i love that idea and there's um there's something about collage that I find satisfying as well in that I don't feel like I have like it's not that I don't think of myself as artistic um but I don't have the skill to make things do what I want them to do whatever the media is Mm -hmm. but with with collage it's just like it's messy it's about putting things together it's about seeing if they work it's about color it's about composition Mm -hmm. in ways that for me, at least, don't have to feel so planned out. Right. Where the writing has to be precise in a way that you really want it to express the thing that you want to say. I think collage, you're like, oh, happy accident. The red stuff ended up next to the blue stuff. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. I like collage because I don't have any intentions of becoming like a collage artist. Yes. So it's unlike writing where I'm like this is the thing that that is yes. me that I care about whereas with collage I can kind of just play yes and I like to um I met someone who did collage on furniture oh. and it was really beautiful and then I went home and I was like I could totally do that so I started like refinishing furniture <laughs> and then and but then I was like I had some a few happy accidents, but mm. I could see that I was definitely getting better over time. But there, you know, there's a, there's an investment that you have to make into materials, right? <laughs> and like you know, the mask that you got to wear, oh, and, gosh, yeah. and what kind of paint you got to put on things, and you know, yeah, poetry really requires a special mask. <laughs> Say that for it. You never know. Like, <laughs> yeah, it might be fun. That might be another thing. We could start like collaging masks for poetry. For uh, so, who's someone who's come into a slam that was unexpected that you were like, where did that come from? Um, Do you have like an example of someone that showed up and you're like, whoa? I definitely, there are people who are regulars at our venue who I, like the first time I ever heard them on the open mic, I I was like, oh, whoa, like you're, you know, you're doing something very different and that's very exciting to me. Yeah. Um, Tara Hijitor is someone who was on the slam team last year who, like I remember the first time I heard him read because I remember like, you know, if I'm hosting, I'm kind of paying attention to a lot of things at once. I'm, like, crossing up names, I'm timing, I'm stuff. And so, you know, I think he started his poem and I wasn't, like, all the way in it. And I don't remember what line I heard, but all of a sudden I was like, oh, whoa. Like, this is cool and weird. <laughs> and then I think I let him go, like, five minutes because I was like, I want to hear this. <laughs> that's cool. Which I was bad host, but. <laughs> no, that's very cool. So I think we're just coming up to the hour mark here. Is there anything else that we haven't covered? I mean, I feel like we could go on for a while, but <laughs> is there anything um, 
on your horizon. The Traveling Poetry Emporium is coming to my wedding reception, which I'm very excited about. Yes, we're also very excited. <laughs> um, and I think guests will be interested as well because we have friends who are musicians and writers and... Um, we've invited friends who are musicians and writers to bring instruments and fun things. And we're hopefully going to have, we have a, a henna artist who you were also, oh, cool. she's going to be coming and doing henna. And um, there'll be a popcorn cart. So I hope you like um, popcorn. Yes. <laughs> I'm obsessed with popcorn myself. And people are encouraged to wear hats. So oh, hopefully excellent. there'll be some fine headwear there. And I've ordered yet a second um kind of fascinator thing from I think just because I've started a relationship with this person online but you know Etsy mm-hmm. okay so Etsy is uh, I, I should probably have never discovered Etsy <laughs> it Etsy, can be dangerous. Etsy is dangerous so if you like hats or fascinators or any kind of funky head headwear of any sort um, there's fabulous Etsy people out there that make custom one of a kind, you know, they procure their own feathers and their own materials and, you know, recycle things. And I tend to like big, bold, funky colors and things that go off the side. <laughs> and um, I bought some from a local company by two women um, called Swan and Stone that are out of Vermont that make gorgeous hats but they don't make a ton of um fascinators or headband kind of thingies so when i was on etsy i was like looking at a bunch of different things and some things are very underpriced so started a relationship with this woman in england (laughs) (laughs) i just got my second one arrived today and i was like (gasps) put it on the bathroom i was like i have to find a way to like just go out in public and wear this thing because it's the most amazing like it's just a little headband but it has like these lovely coral and bright feathers and beads and I'm just you know so there'll be one of or perhaps I'll wear both of them at the wedding reception oh very cool have a costume change I think I'm going to yes I think I'm going to have a costume change because I have two different dresses one of which I figured I was going to be wearing at a wedding um which we'll see what happens with that one. But the second one I bought specifically for the reception because I thought people buy two dresses and I'm not a white person and I'm not wearing anything traditional. So my first one was sort of a floor length kind of lavender gown that has like a 20s feel to it in it, but it had an upturned hem. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, well, I'm afraid I'd trip on that. So that would be the wedding dress and then the reception dress is kind of a 70s kind of like boho chic styled red magenta floor length um with like an impure waist and like kind of this sleeve the dolman what's this a dolman sleeve i have no idea a dolman <laughs> sleeve and then kind of like a v to it with a tie in the back um but very kind of like a jersey-ish flowy material mm-hmm. comfortable yeah you know, if it's May, maybe it will be warm out. And I bought one of the two fascinators would go with either. <laughs> nice. So, so you guys are encouraged to wear hats if you oh, want. Oh, I would love to wear a hat. <laughs> <laughs> or any kind of headgear that you prefer. And um, yeah, so who's who's coming? Me and Jenna Rose. You, you and Jenna Rose. Yes. Awesome. And is she the one that was at the Malden Reeds? Uh, no, that was Julie. Okay. Our other member. So Jenna was the one. She's in New Orleans now. Yes, but she's she'll in be back Vermont. up here. She's in Vermont for the summer months, typically. Which is smart. It really is. <laughs> do you ever do you ever want to escape somewhere for the winter, or are you kind of ingrained in your New England? I'm New England through and through somehow, even though neither of my parents were from here. Really? Um, yeah, they just raised me in New Hampshire, and then I, you know, I've never lived outside of New England in my life. I haven't either, but I'm always thinking I'm going to forge some sort of escape <laughs> soon. I'm just not a I don't like the cold. I'm 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 that, you know, strange cat that wants everything seventy or above. <laughs> so if it's like, you know, really warm out, I'm kind of a happy camper and um but I don't like New England. <laughs> I live here but I don't like it. Um and I sort of feel like I could do whatever I wanted to do here anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the type of job I work from home, so 
But, you know, my dog would have to come with me, obviously. Oh, of course. It's a bad scissor eating or hands of the scissors boy. Gosh, I cannot believe that. Do you have pets? I have a cat, yeah. What kind of kitty cat? Um, We don't know. She's very fluffy. Uh, She was found as a stray. Um, I love her very much. She's never eaten scissors. Uh, She's eaten a lot of food that one would think a cat would not be interested in. Uh, The latest one is she likes avocado. Um, also, anything, any green leafy thing. Oh, that's funny. It. That's the only thing Arnie won't eat. Huh. He will actually eat like a spinach leaf, but he won't eat like a lettuce leaf. He mm. spits it out. <laughs> he does like a very big dramatic like. <laughs> but plastic scissor handles. Those Yo, are delicious. 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 His um, dog walker's name is Cassandra, too. So oh, I think the first time I talked to you, I said, Cassandra, <laughs> because that's how we say Cassandra's name in our house, because then he's like, oh, my friend is coming Aww. today. <laughs> he, you may meet him. He may come to the reception. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that would be very exciting. He's a very good boy. So he would just sort of like lay down. That's mm-hmm. all you do. He like look for the food and mm-hmm. then get some pets and scratches and then find somebody's feet and lay down on them. Nice. nice. What so, a nice life. Yeah. No kidding. Did you like there is a poem right there. Mm-hmm. Be someone's pet. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, and I feel like we me. could have like all sorts of other conversations about writing and other things. But I appreciate your time. And if, again, if people want to find you online, how do they do that? Um, they can go to CassandraDeAlba.com. Um, they can follow me on Twitter or Instagram um, at Cassandra in Troy because Cassandra of Troy was taken. Or, I mean, I think they just, they can Google my name. I don't know. I'm out there. Okay. I have good SEO. I'm the only one of me that's, dom- I dominate the first page of Google. Very good. <laughs> so. Yeah, the Fel- Felicia is not a super common name, but I think I'm one of the few white Felicia's maybe. <laughs> so Felicia typically is an African-American woman's name. Um, and I feel like sometimes perhaps people pulled my resume out thinking they were going to get some sort of other Felicia come through the door. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Worked for me either way. Yeah. Um, Uber drivers are very insistent that I'm Greek. Uh, oh. Greek Uber drivers really want to claim me. And they, <laughs> they um, do not have me. <laughs> Spanish Uber drivers want to claim me. So I always get Felicia, Felicia, and I'll be oh, like, man. so I'm like, oh, oh, maybe they think because uh, Felicia is, it's a Latin derivative name. Mm-hmm. So great. Sure. I can be Spanish <laughs> if you want. That's fine. Yeah. Meanwhile, my family is Mexican, but they spelled Cassandra the American way. So how do you spell them the Spanish way? Only one S. Oh, I have okay. two S's. Perhaps we could invite people to come to the uh, open mic at the Cantab. Is oh, yeah. it every Wednesday? Yeah, every Wednesday night, except for major holidays when the bar is closed. Um, uh, doors at 7.15, show at 8 p.m. We have a website that's bostonpoetryslam.com. Very nice. My guest today was Cassandra De Alba. <laughs> and this was the Hi Felicia podcast, and I'm your host, Felicia Ryan. The last move. It was only months when it felt like I had been washing the dishes forever. Hardwood planks under the feet, a cord to the sky. What is it to go to a we from an eye? Each time he left for an errand, the walls would squeeze me in. I cried over the non-existent bath mat, wet floor of him. How south we were, far away in the outskirts all the new bugs. I put my apron on as a joke and waltzed around carrying a zucchini like a child. This is Kentucky, not New York, and I am not important. This was before we got the dog even and before I trusted the paralyzing tranquilizer of love stuck in the flesh of my neck. Back home, in my apartment, Another woman lived there, in Brooklyn by the deli where everything was clean and contained, where I grieved my deaths. 
I took to my hands and knees. I was thinking about the novel I was writing, the great heavy chest of live animals I had been dragging around for years. What's life? I made the house so clean, shine and shine and shine. I was suspicious of the monkey sounds of Kentucky's birds, judging crackles, rusty mailbox, spiders in the magnolia tree, tornado talk, dead June bugs like pinto beans. Somewhere I had heard that, after noting the lack of water pressure in an old hotel in Los Angeles, they found a woman's body at the bottom of the cistern. Imagine just thinking the water was low, just wanting to take a shower. After that, when the water would act weird, spurt, or gurgle, I'd imagine a body, a woman, a me, just years ago, freely single, happily unaccounted for, at the lowest curve of the water tower. Yes, and over and over, I'd press her limbs down with a long pole until she was still.